Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning. It's Brad Furlan, your host for Vermont Viewpoint here in Waterbury, Vermont, historic Waterbury, on a rainy day. And speaking of rainy day, uh, we may have breaks in the show this morning. Uh, Lee Cattell may jump in and give us some updates on weather conditions, so we'll stay tuned for that. Hopefully that won't happen, but if it does, uh, Lee will update you on all the things that are happening in the region that uh, we may be concerned about. Have a great show today. I'll be starting in a little bit with Jerry Johnson and Paula Munier, both writers, and uh, they have a big event coming up uh, this coming Saturday, July 15th. Uh, later in the show, I'll be talking to two more of the participants, uh, Stephen Payne and Joy Cohn. Uh, both, uh, successful, uh, best-selling authors. And, uh, if you have any desire to be a writer or you are a writer and you're not part of the, uh, Vermont League of Writers, this is a, a great event coming up. Uh, the rain in Waterbury reminds me of a story that my, uh, grandfather was Romeo Furlan on my father's side and he, he was born up in uh, Highgate, Vermont, on a f- dairy farm up there in the days when uh, farmers were crossing the border, living in Canada, farming in Canada, living in in Vermont. And uh, at age 16, he decided that chores was not something that he was too particularly interested in. Milking 70 cows or whatever they were doing in the day was not of interest to him, so he left and joined the railroad at age 16 and ended up uh, working in Jonesville, later in Montpelier at Montpelier Junction. But he was in Jonesville during the flood of 1927 and was trapped there, apparently, and wanted to get home to Montpelier to see his family, walked the railroad track uh, towards Montpelier, Spent one night in a barn, apparently, and then the next day made it home to uh, his family in Montpelier. Uh, so that was in the flood of 1927. So we hope that that doesn't happen again. We don't want any of you having to walk home on the railroad track. Uh, so I want to welcome my guests this morning, uh, both calling in, Jerry Johnson and Paula Munier. Good morning to you. Good morning, Brad. Yeah. Um so Good morning, uh, Paula. Yeah, good morning, Paula. <laughs> good morning. Uh is it I'll start with you, Paula. Is it is it raining where you are? It certainly is raining where I am. I'm about forty miles southeast of White River Junction in Salisbury, New Hampshire. And it is raining, raining, raining. Uh-huh. And Jerry, how about up in the kingdom? I thought it was always sunny up there. Is it raining with you? <laughs> I'm glad I'm on higher ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a big event is coming up. We'll be talking about that. Uh, a uh, Vermont Writers, Vermont League of Writers uh, hosting it. You both are a big part of this. Paula, you'll be uh, a featured speaker. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit first sort of about um, your journey to – 
you know, qualify you to get to July 15th to the, to the, the League of Writers. Uh, Paula, you've had a lot of hats, it sounds like, uh, starting with journalism and then, and moving along. Can you tell us a little bit about the journey? Sure. I mean, I became a reporter back in my youth, right? Working for alternative weekly newspapers, mostly out west. And then I got my first job in book publishing. And when I sat down at my first meeting with the book publisher, I thought they're going to pay me to do books all day, to talk about books, to make books, to think about books, to edit books. And I thought, okay, this is my happy place. Mm. And I stayed in, in book publishing for many years, still carried on as a writer, mostly nonfiction. But it wasn't until about 11 years ago when I left the corporate world and went to work as an agent and had the time to write my own mystery series. So I sat at most of the seats at the table. Well, it sounds like it. And and right now you are the senior agent and director of storytelling for Talcott Notch Literary. Um, So does that mean that you're you're doing sort of the same thing? You're getting uh, manuscripts in and, and looking at them? Or what? what does that mean? Yes, it means that I have clients who are writers, and I help them get their manuscripts ready to shop, and then I shop them and we sell them to publishers. We sell them to the same editors that I used to be one of. <laughs> so it, it isn't very far from the tree, right? And it, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's nice to have all the pieces um, sort of to put something together when you when you know all, all the components. Uh, I think it gives you um, better insights, I'm guessing, about uh, what can work and what doesn't work. Yes, absolutely. I mean, being a writer also helps enormously because I understand the writer's journey. I USA Today bestselling author of the Mercy Car series, which is actually set in Vermont, my my other happy place. And being a writer helps me understand my clients. It helps me understand the process. And having been in publishing as an acquisitions editor helps me understand that world so that I can better navigate for my clients, you know, because I'm sort of the middleman between the writer and the publisher. And are you also a psychologist and a mentor (laughs) and a... (laughs) Sometimes I am, yes, a shrink and a mother <laughs> and a PR person and a cheerleader. <laughs> a, a hand holder and a, a Kleenex passer and, yeah. It's Absolutely. A, it's, it's not an easy road, the publishing road. Yeah, right. Full service. So, Jerry, um, you're one of my frequent guests. You've been on the show a few times. You and you are an author, a poet, uh, a Vermont uh, craftsman as well, and uh, you're hosting an event up at your house. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about your writing, um, your your poetry books, and 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 also a new book that uh, you've just finished with Pat Gaudi O'Brien. Uh, thanks, Brad. Uh, first of all, I I met Paula for the first time. I've met her many times, but the first time was at a League of Vermont Writers event. And I'm guessing maybe the first time was seven or eight years ago, and she was one of the featured speakers then. And then I met her again at another one where she was introduced to an early version of a novel I've written with Pat, and she gave us an incredible 
tip on sort of making it better, bringing in an, a contemporary element. Um, so, and another commonality that Paula and I have is that we both went to Purdue University. Now, Purdue's most famous graduate might be Neil Armstrong, but the second most famous might be Paula. <laughs> um, and, her, and her dad is a Purdue grad also. And so, League of Vermont Writers, the, the event is this Saturday at my schoolhouse farm in Irisburg, Vermont, and everyone is invited. And I can talk about that later. Um, yes. Yeah, so and you, how people can sign up. Right. And you don't have to be a member of Vermont League of Writers. You can join if you want, but, um, this is really well, welcome and open to anyone who's interested in writing with an incredible network of presenters, uh, during the day. Yes. Um, this will be actually the sixth time I've hosted a, a league event at my place and, I've been working like crazy getting my three buildings ready <laughs> for, for presenters, and people come from everywhere, even New Hampshire, <laughs> uh, to, um, to, to listen in on – there's going to be 12 incredible presentations. Paula's going to be the featured presenter, and I think she's going to talk about beginnings, how to really begin your book. Uh, you want to catch the reader. You want it, you know, the first few pages mean so much uh, to, to the reader uh, to make them want to go to the next page. Um, so the, the other thing about Paula, she's a dog lover. <laughs> so there's that commonality that we have also. I saw that. Uh, I'm talking this morning with Jerry Johnson and Paula Munier. Both uh, writers, publishers, uh, agents, all, all, all of this. Uh, Jerry, we uh, one of the things when we invite people over for dinner, it's not cooking the dinner that's onerous. It's uh, the seven hours of cleaning the house. Have, have you had uh, a troubled experience getting ready for the event? Um, I think I started two months ago. Okay. Um, I probably have a hundred hours in cleaning and getting my barn ready, and that's all set. My my sugar house camp is all ready, and my schoolhouse is all, almost ready. But I've got until Saturday, and everything will be ready. And people say, "Gee, Jerry, you're really a neat freak," and I'll just laugh in the background. <laughs> that's right. Well, we. It, it's somehow uh, we're judged by our home cleanliness, so we feel like we have to go the extra distance. Of course, I got to vacuum up a, a few hairs from my golden retriever, Baron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I will say that, um, Paula. I know you have you have uh, dogs, and so do I. I have three Norwegian elkhounds, and I can Ooh. build a dog each week from the hair that comes off of them. <laughs> Absolutely. We have three big dogs, and we just got a Newfoundland puppy, so the dog hair is completely out of control. <laughs> and tell people, you know, if they want to come visit, that's great, but we hope you like dogs. Yeah, no kidding. You have to – it's a precursor. And, 
probably the vacuum cleaner industry invented the dog, I think. It's <laughs> possible. Uh, Brad, one, one thing on the dogs. Um, P- Paul has written many books. Um, I'm looking at a, my pile of Paula books in front of me right now. A Writer's Guide to, Be- Guide to Beginnings, A Borrowing of Bones, you know, one of her Mercy Cars books, and her her mystery series, ha- you know, has each book has a dog in it. And one day I was alerted by a, fe- a friend that Paul is doing an interview, and I think it was during the pandemic, and she talked about you, Jerry. And I was able to listen in, and she mentioned that something like, I finally succumbed to seeing all of Jerry's Golden Retrievers on Facebook. And I put one in my new book, The Hiding Place, and I named him Sonny after one of Jerry's Goldens. And I was, like, really blown away. Wow. (laughs) What an honor. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I don't know about Paula, but for me, they're really my co-writers. They're with, you know... Baron, Lord Baron, my current golden, he's always at my feet when I'm writing and and giving me the thumbs up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so Paula, it's a good segue. I was thinking about years ago I moved into a farmhouse in uh, Fairfield, Vermont. I was in my 20s and writing had always been a, a dream of mine and of some sort. And I sat in this beautiful farmhouse room looking out of this uh, you know, picture window onto a meadow with Holstein cows and, uh, foliage. And I had a typewriter in front of me and nothing happened. And I, ha- <laughs> I had to go through, uh, marriage, divorce, drinking too much, having kids, uh, and a whole bunch of other things before a word hit the page. And so was your journey, I mean, how did your journey go for that? Well, certainly when it came to fiction, yes. I mean, I think there's something about fiction. You know, they say that if you that to write good fiction, you have to have had an unhappy childhood. And I have a longtime friend who's been writing together and going to writing classes since since our 20s. And she always told me, she said, I had a very happy childhood, and, and she did not. And she says, well, that's why I'm a writer, because I had an unhappy childhood. She goes, but that's why why God gave you your first husband, so you have something to write about. It's a little pain and suffering to bring to the page. And I think that's true. I think that when you write fiction, it, it's not like nonfiction where you, you know, you have a story to tell about a certain person or place or or project, and you just write the facts, basically. Fiction requires a little digging deeper, and it's hard to go deep if you haven't suffered a little. Yeah. And does, do you find that a lot of the manuscripts that come through, uh, that you get to know the person, do you, do you think it does sort of spill out to the page, the the soul of the person a little bit, or can it be both ways? Oh, I think absolutely. I think that, you know, the best writing is honest writing. And, and by honest, I mean emotionally honest. And so I think you you find out a lot about a person when you read their books. Um, that's kind of the scary part of being a writer, is that you reveal yourself even when you don't want to or mean to. Right. And you must, you must really see it more because you've seen so many different manuscripts and and then you meet the person, presumably, and 
pretty exciting, I would think. Yes, well, there's nothing I like better than a good book by a good writer. So Yeah, I, uh, and I was thinking about as a kid we had Cracker Jacks and we would kind of like – dig through to get to the prize. I don't even know if I liked Cracker Jacks, but, uh, <laughs> and, and you'd, un, you'd sort of undo the, the little packet and something was in there. And a lot of times it wasn't too cool, but once in a while it was quite great. Is that the same process with, with the manuscripts <laughs> oh, that <yeah>. come in? <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, the biggest mistake most writers make is they send their work out too soon before it's really ready for prime time. But when you find a project, like the one I'm reading now by a certain Jerry Johnson, that's really good, then you, it, it's like, it's like that super duper prize in the Cracker Jack box. It's, it's, it's the thrill of a lifetime. I and mean, it's, the, it's the thrill that keeps me loving my job as an agent. Yeah, I would think so. And, um, I've had, uh, a lot of writers on the show over the last year and, uh, a couple of them have told me that they uh, turn manuscripts in to editors or publishers, and uh, they got the green light, but they also got um, a real big assignment to, to do rewrites and laboriously going through that. Is, is that sort of a normal part of the process? Absolutely. It, I think a lot of writers are shocked because, they sell their first novel, which they've had, you know, a lifetime to write. <laughs> and and then, you know, so they revise it a million times because the writers who do breakthrough are the ones who write, revise, and persist. Basically, that's it. It's write, revise, pers- persist. But then you get a contract and you have to turn out a book a year. And you don't, you haven't had your whole life to write that first book. Now you have to write a second book and a third book and a fifth fourth book and a fifth book and it really doesn't get any easier i mean (laughs) you'd think it would but it really doesn't and so the revision process is really critical especially when you're writing books quickly and a year a book a year for me is quick Mm. um we're talking this morning with jerry johnson and paula munier they're uh, both involved in the Vermont League of Writers event that's coming up uh, out of the words. Very clever. Uh, into title. the words. Into, into the words. So okay. I'll play on into the woods. Right. Got it. <laughs> wonder why I have out of the words. Must be. <laughs> Maybe I'm not invited. Uh, no, no. Brad, Brad will... I know you're going to be here. <laughs> oh, you're invited. <laughs> Paula, Jerry has pestered me for about six months to come to this event, and uh, <laughs> the phone stopped ringing when I finally signed up to to come. Uh, so I'll be the oh, sort of the the lowly boy on the pole watching all the writers. It'll be very good. No, uh, there's a book. There's at least one book inside you. I know. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking this morning with Jerry Johnson and Paula Munier, both writers. Uh, and Paula, you are an, an agent for writers and, and find, uh, find the, the, the books that eventually make it to print. And I was, uh, I took my daughter to a bookstore several months ago. We were looking for a particular book and, in the entrance, uh, there was a whole table of banned books. They had each of the banned books. And when I said to her, read every one of these, uh, first of all. <laughs> 
And one of them was Catcher in the Rye. And I remember the first time I was on page one of Catcher in the Rye, I was totally um, taken by it and, and read the whole book just based on the first page. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of the first page and what what you think you're you're trying to convey to the reader? Well, the first page is where the buying decision is typically made. You know, they've done a lot of studies on this, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And the first thing you do if you see a book, whether it's in a bookstore or online, and you, you look at the author's name. And if you don't know the author, you know, then you look at the title and the cover. And if it still looks like your kind of book, you read the jacket copy. And then if it still looks like your kind of book, you turn to that first page and you read it. And there's where you decide typically whether or not you're going to buy that book or not. And so it's insanely important to get that first page right. It doesn't have to be an explosion or a car crash or, you know, anything like that. But there has to be something compelling on that first page. And so many writers, because part of the process of writing is sort of warming up when you're starting a new story. So you end up telling yourself on the page a lot of things that you need to know as the writer, but the reader doesn't need to know to read that story. And so a lot of writers, they're warming up on their first page, and, and, you, and you can't warm up, right? You have to barge right in and grab the reader's attention. And so the, the beginning really matters, and the opening pages really matter. And the only real rule in writing is keep the reader reading. So you have to write a first page that keeps the reader reading. And that's the the glory and the challenge of it. And so what that usually means is you have to revisit that opening page a lot until you get it right. And that's uh, true of you as a publisher or an agent, right? That first page is important to you in whether the, the you're intrigued by the book or not. Absolutely. I know from the beginning, very opening words, if this writer knows what they're doing or not. Or, and if they're ready for prime time, if you think about it, what's that book by that writer, the writer you're willing to spend hardcover bucks on, and you get that writer's new book and you sit down with a glass of wine or a cup of tea on a rainy day like today, and you say, I'm going to read a book by my favorite writer. And you open that to the first page and you read it. And part of you just goes, ah, because you know, from that first page, you're in for a good ride. And that's what I'm looking for as an agent. That's what publishers are looking for, editors are looking for. And ultimately, that's what readers are looking for. I would uh, use the analogy of eating a sandwich. You don't have to eat the whole sandwich to know whether it's good or not. It's the first bite, right? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Um, Well, it's pretty exciting, and I I bet it is really exciting when when you do find that – sort of piece of gold and intrigue. Now, what about, um, and Jerry, I promise I'll get back to you. Uh, Paula, there's so many um, audibles now uh, where people are going online and they get to listen to, you know, two minutes of, of, of a book intro or something. Um, and I have found that sometimes I I like the content, but I don't really like the voice of the narrator, or or even the opposite. Um, is so? Are you dealing with that as well? Absolutely. You know, audiobooks have become as important 
to the publisher's bottom line as hardcover sales. And so there's a real push for audio now because readers love audio. And that's why you have up-and-coming narrators, voice actors who have their own followings. And if you do listen to audiobooks, you understand why. Because like you say, if, if the, the voice is irritating in, in any way, then you don't want to listen to it, no matter how good the book is. It's also changing the way writers write. Because with my last book, my editor literally counted the said, like he said, she said, because narrators don't like saying he said, she said. Mm. <laughs> so it's changing the way you write the books and the way you hear stories and, and read stories and consume stories. So it's all important. So the best thing to do is to read your work out loud yourself as you go and listen. Listen as well as read your own work. Yeah, I have definitely found that to be true. Uh, I had read... Uh, 25 Janet Ivanovich books and, and then finally, uh, s- signed up to listen to one. And, and a couple things, um, the voice of the cert, you know, the characters in the book didn't match what I heard when I was reading. And it was, it was pretty strange. And I noticed that, that Janet changed narrators, uh, in books. So maybe she got that mm-hmm. feedback or maybe it was coincidental. I don't know. Yes, well, I do think that, you know, someone like Janet, who's been doing it for a long time, you know, I'm not sure everyone really understood how important the narrator was to the sales of the audiobook. Now people understand that. And as an agent, my job is to help make sure that my clients, when they do their audiobooks, get narrators who they like, that fit the book, and that audiences will like, too. Yeah, for sure. And do you actually have like a a pool of of uh narrators in your world or is it just something that you you kind of take a look at when when the author brings them to you? Well, usually whoever has got the audio rights, typically it's the the publisher these days because again, the sales are so important now of audiobooks that they want to hold on to those rights. So they usually have their own audio divisions, most of them. The big 5 exact for example. Now, with my own books, when time came for the narrator, they sent us several narrators to choose from. And my agent, of course, I have my own agent because you should never be your own agent. <laughs> I have my own agent. We we didn't like any of the narrators. And so we, we just didn't think they were right. So we went out and listened to a bunch of them, um, narrators. And now I have a fabulous narrator, the same woman who does the Linda Costello books and other books in my genre, which is a mystery genre. So part of the challenge is to make sure you get a narrator you like. And that's something you negotiate with whoever's doing the audio. And some some people actually narrate their own book. Is that sort of like they they just their heart is in it and, and that's how they want it to be? I don't know. Unless you're a voice actor, I really think it's a risky thing to do Uh (laughs) because, you know, most of us are not trained actors, voice actors, you know. So when people say to me they want to, you know, make their own audio, I just go, okay, but, you know, that's not really the best. Usually it's not in the best interest of the audio book itself or the sales of the audio book, right? So, again, if you're, you know, I just listened to Claire Danes reading the new translation of the Odyssey. And it was fabulous because it was Claire Danes, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm not sure I would have wanted the translator 
So it was wonderful, Emily Wilson, to have read it. You know, she was smart. She got Claire Danes instead. You've you've uh, achieved the art of strategic diplomacy, Paula. Uh, I'm, I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important. Yeah. Diplomacy is negotiation, right? Yeah, we're talking with Jerry Johnson and Paula Munier, uh, Vermont. League of Writers has a big event this uh, weekend, Saturday, July 15th. Uh, Jerry, Into the Words is an event this Saturday up in Irisburg at your uh, one-room schoolhouse. Uh, how can people get involved with the event still? Okay. First, I'll get to that in one second. On the, I had to write a couple of notes here on Paula talking about beginnings. The first page is important. And one thing came to my head was, the line in the Jerry Maguire movie, you had me at hello. <laughs> and, and, and I grabbed the book off of my bookshelf that I still had since high school. The first line in Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And that first paragraph just grabs you and wants you to want to continue reading. Okay, the League of Vermont Writers, and people might want to write this down. If you go to LeagueOfVermontWriters.org, LeagueOfVermontWriters.org, and you hover, you click on events and hover down, you will see Into the Words. If you go to LeagueOfVermontWriters.org, and you see events near the top, and you click on it and hover down to the to into the words, and you click on that, it will take you to a page that will give you all the details, how to sign up, how to come, how to get here, and who all the speakers are, and you can you can register online or on the day of the event at my place, which starts at 8.30 in the morning. The, the speakers are going to be Stephen Payne, Celia Riker. These are all different subjects they're going to be talking about. Cindy Hill, Jerry, that's me, and Pat, my co-writer for the mystery novel Murder in Mill Hollow. Our topic's going to be plotting and researching murder. Sean Anderson, a former president of the League of Vermont Writers, is going to be talking about landing an agent. Lynn Aspen is the speaker. Then Paula will be a keynote. Paula Diaco will be speaking. She's Pat's sister. Joan Grant, Jody Gerard, Joy Cohn, Kathy Quimby Johnson, and our current president, Amy Braun. So there's going to be a lot of terrific presentations, and it's open to the public, and it's going to be fun. And it's really A to Z about writing. If there's anything that you want to know, this is the event to be at, uh, whether it's self-publishing, publishing, how to get an agent, uh, the psychology of it all. I'm seeing writing from the heart, uh, all, all of these things. So it really is uh, the – one of your annual premier events. Is that right, Jerry? Yeah. If, you, if you're going to play tennis, hang out with tennis players. Okay. If you're going to get into writing, 
hang out with other writers. I've learned so much over the last 20 years. That's where I first met Pat from the League of Vermont Writers, meeting other writers, learning from them, okay? And it really helps speed up the learning curve on a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, Paula, I'm reminded my show last week, it was uh, just before the 4th of July, and we were talking about a piece of writing that started with when in the course of human events, which isn't a bad beginning either. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> a great beginning. Yeah. Um, so, Paula, how do, uh, how do our listeners find your work and, and website and, and your books and, and all of what you've done? Well, you can just go to paulamunier.com, so P-A-U-L-A-M-U-N-I-E-R.com, and I have tabs there for my work as an agent, my work as a writer, my work as a teacher, all those things that I do that involve book publishing. And, of course, the dog. <laughs> but yeah. mostly it's about writing publishing and agenting. So so you can just go to paulamunier.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Paula S. Meunier. You can follow me on Facebook and on Instagram and now TikTok and now threads. It just never ends. The social media never ends. So you can find me. I'm out there. And uh, Paula, inspiration. Um, is there somebody in your life or, or an author that inspired you, that really gave you that moment of clarity that um, this this was your soul and, and how you would move forward? Well, I was an only child and an Army brat. So I was always a new kid in a new place with no siblings to soften the blow. And my best friends were my dog and my books. And so I fell in love with books early. And I was left alone, you know, on my own a lot. So I had an overactive imagination, which dismayed my parents, but has served me well as a writer, <laughs> and as, a, as an editor, and as an agent. So I think the important thing, like Jerry says, is to find like-minded souls. No one else. Not your family, not your friends. Only writers, other writers, are going to understand why you want to spend hours alone by yourself in front of a computer or a notebook making up stories about imaginary people doing imaginary things. <laughs> That's not what normal people do, so don't expect them to understand. And, and it's a long haul. You know, mastering any craft takes a while. And so you need the support of your fellow writers. And what is the importance of a book, Paula? Why, why do we even bother? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking to a writer about this because this weekend I ran a, a boot camp on the first 10 pages with Writer's Digest, and our agency does it every quarter. And she said, you know, she said, I've been told that my mystery should read like a screenplay. And I said, no, 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 no. Because the one thing that novels do, the one thing that books do, is allow us a glimpse of an inner life, right? The inner life of the characters, the inner life of the writer. If you go to a film or TV or stage play, you don't get to, you're not inside the character's head, right? You, can, you don't know what they're thinking, seeing, feeling the way you do in a novel, the way you do even in nonfiction, if it's a memoir. You really get into the head the head of the character and the head of the writer. And I think that's what we long for in terms of understanding one another and dealing with one another. And that's the only thing 
that the novel has going for it in terms of competing with the other forms of entertainment out there. It's that glimpse of the inner life, and I think that's what we all long for. Sounds wonderful. Uh, talking with Jerry Johnson, Paula Munier, uh, coming to the end of this segment, I really want to thank you both for being part of this. The event Vermont League of Writers is putting on Into the Words, Saturday, July 15th. You can be part of it. You can uh, go and hone your writing skills and uh, and get that, uh, send your manuscript to Paula and have her so excited on that first page that she <laughs> she calls you up at 11 o'clock at night because she's so excited. Uh, we hope that happens. And thank you both for being with me. Thank you so much, Brad. So this see you is Saturday. Yeah, see you on Saturday. It'll be great. Uh it's Brad Furland, Vermont Viewpoint, W D E V. We're gonna be back shortly with writers, exciting writers, Stephen Payne and Joy Cohn. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Good morning. It's Brad Furland, uh, Vermont Viewpoint. I'm your host. I'm your Monday host. Uh, Pat and Kevin uh, handle... Uh, two days each later in the week, uh, and it's uh, a rainy day out there. And uh, thanks to Lee for the updates, uh, WDEV. Stay tuned here because we always have uh, the latest information on uh, this, you know, travel and safety and and what's happening out there. So it's uh, the importance of radio and. The importance of the listener, too. We can't do radio without you, so we certainly appreciate you being uh, part of the day, every day on WDEV. Uh, I was talking earlier with Jerry Johnson and Paula Munier uh, about an event coming up this Saturday, Into the Words, and you can go to the Vermont League of Writers to find out more of the event. Uh, and now I welcome to the show um, two Two authors who will be part of the event on Saturday, Stephen Russell Payne and Joy Cohn. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much to be here. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I hope you're staying dry, Joy, wherever you are and uh, inside and cozy. I am. Thank you. I'm actually in northwestern Vermont, so we're just getting a steady rain, but it's not as... um, Torrential as it's happening in the rest of the state, so I hope everyone is also safe and dry wherever you are. Yeah, I was when I left St. Albans, I got up early and went out into the barn and fed the sheep. I didn't put them out to pasture because they don't know how to canoe, so uh, uh, I gave them <laughs> some hay and uh, water. The water buckets outside in the paddock are going to fill up just uh, naturally, uh, but it was it was kind of a gentle rain, not like it like it's hitting here in. Here right. in Waterbury, a little bit harder. Um, Joy, it's in the small world. We, you know, through emailing back and forth, we we know people. We each know uh, different worlds. It's it's like small town Vermont, isn't it? It is. It's the beauty of living here. It, actually, I was very fortunate over the last year to do a lot of traveling internationally, and it's really a small world globally as well. It's it's incredible 
how we can connect with people wherever we are. And there's usually some sort of relationship or connection or commonality that brings us together. Yeah, it's true. And um, it's some sometimes we're traveling and in the strangest place we see a neighbor or somebody we know or we are just sitting at a table and we become instant friends with somebody who we we've never met and 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 it makes the world a little more beautiful and a little smaller too i guess uh so um you're both uh successful writers um steve i wanted i mentioned when we were off air uh when cliff walking your first book came out i um i bought it and and got it signed and and all of that and i was very excited and the the trepidation of of reading books by friends is you really want them to be good right and so with with <laughs> trepidation i open the cover and i start reading and and as uh my as paula said the first couple pages are so important and I immediately went, oh, oh, good. This is good. He can write. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> then I don't have to, you know, say, oh, well, that book was interesting, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah really. <laughs> uh, but it's, it was really good. And then, uh, you went on, you wrote Life on a Cliff. And then you, uh, your latest book that came out, uh, last fall, uh, you were always there is, is like doing fantastic. Can you, can you tell us about the journey a little bit? Yes. I, I, and good morning, Joy. I know of you, but haven't met you except virtually here. Likewise. Um, you know, I've <laughs> been really fortunate. I grew here. up in St. Johnsbury in the Northeast Kingdom and was always interested in writing as well as medicine. And I kind of had a, double journey through college and med school and double majoring in, in writing and biology. And, and it was a struggle, really, to keep it all going. Um, but I was very fortunate to have some great mentors along the way, including Dr. John Davis, who was the renowned chief of surgery at UVM, who was very interested in my writing. He was a great man of letters, and I trained um, at Tufts University with some fabulous writers, X.J. Kennedy, Robert Lowell, Denise Levertov, uh, Galway Cannell was a mentor of mine. And once I had graduated from surgery training, I became friends with Howard Mosier, who just became a dear friend and an amazingly generous mentor. Uh, in fact, uh, you were talking earlier on the show about um, editing and rewriting your own material. When I wrote my first novel, Cliff Walking, Howard kept telling me that, you know, I just had to keep rewriting over and over again. So when I finally finished the novel after 42 rewrites, I called Howard up and I proudly told him that I'd done 42 edits and there was this pause on the phone and all he said was, lightweight because <laughs> it turns out his his first novel he wrote rewrote 50 times so we laughed about that for many years i don't have to do quite that many rewrites anymore but um you know rewriting and getting the beginning of a story um to catch people is so important and and my method really is i like to put you in a scene immediately 
like there's no introduction and 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 you were always there the new book that's set around Caspian Lake in the 70s um you're you're literally in an old truck with Luke Sims going down a muddy road in the opening sentence so that has worked for me in terms of my voice you know in writing yeah, no, it's terrific. I, I loved, I was captured by, um, the beginning of You Were Always There as well. Joy, does this all sound familiar to you as well? It's a little different. My process, I'm actually more self-taught. I don't have the distinguished, uh, background in education that Stephen has. The one commonality we do have, though, is Howard Frank Mosher, who was also incredibly, I would, I would echo the term generous just a lovely human being and a terrific writer and shared his knowledge and shares his knowledge so um, generously with writers. Uh, But I actually started, well, my initial career was going to be in the theater as an actress. And I soon changed that once I was in my college theater classes. And I ended up becoming, through a convoluted uh, (laughs) path, a, a teacher, an educator. I was certified and taught K through 12 science and K through 12 art, visual art. And after that, I started, I had an educational video production company and I wrote the scripts for that. And that's kind of what happened was I started writing the scripts and realized I actually loved being behind the scenes. And then I, I consider myself more of a playwright um, than a novelist. I had my debut novel, 37 published in 2021, right in the middle of a pandemic. Not a great time to publish. <laughs> no, no live book event. Um, but I, I, I would, I would say that that my process was different because I was kind of self-taught and I worked with people that I really enjoyed learning from, like Howard Frank Mosier, and got, got to the point where I am today without having any formal training, but that's kind of been the way I've been proceeding in my career throughout my life. Well, it's, uh, we all have our journey and our path. And it, as, uh, Paula was saying earlier, we really, we start learning about the writer because, uh, their, their soul gets into the book. Uh, we're talking now with, uh, Stephen Russell Payne and Joy Cohn. Both are will be participating in the event this Saturday, Into the Words. It's a uh, Vermont League of Writers uh, day-long event that will be really the go-to. If you want to, if you've got writing in your blood, this is the event to be at. You both mentioned Howard Frank Mosier, and I got addicted to Howard Frank Mosier, like right off the bat with Disappearances, I think, um, the first book I read of his, and then I read everything else after that. And this last winter, I live on uh, St. Albans Bay, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mary, convinced me that I should um, chop into the ice with her and, and do a little plunge. And uh, I was thinking about Howard Frank Mosier and disappearances where his characters would would swim in the icy waters down deep into the water and grab trout and come up and, you know, their canoes would flip and they were hiding from the the men who were trying to kill them because they stole all their liquor. That's exciting stuff. 
uh, he, he was, he really caught the essence of, uh, of, of the people. And I think I see in your writing, Steve, the same thing. You're, you're catching the characters and, uh, it's really a nice thing. Howard was a great character himself. Um, we talked on the phone quite often and he was just a howl to, to talk to. And of course we both love the Northeast Kingdom and would, regale each other with stories to the point where I'd have to go in the guest room and shut the door so the rest of the family could hear themselves think when we were on the on the phone. <laughs> but one of the things that, that Howard taught me, and Joy mentioned this also, is how important it is to help up-and-coming writers or people that don't even know they really can write. I don't think I've ever done a book event where people, at least one person has come up to me and I'm signing a book and they say, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. How do you do it? Mm. And of course you can't laugh when they ask you that because it's such a complicated answer. But I think this into the words retreat really is the answer. Um, so many people that want to write see it as an impossible enterprise. It's just so much work, which it is. Um, but I really encourage people who are interested in reading, writing, maybe they've never written anything, to come Saturday up to uh, Jerry's Farmhouse because there's going to be a kaleidoscope of experience shared of how to start a book, how to keep going. I'm giving a seminar on um, finding the discipline to write, which can be a rather humorous discussion. <laughs> I mean, I've said many times that even though I've been writing most of my life, there are days when I sit down to work and I swear I would rather change the cat litter than do any more work on a, on a manuscript. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit I more. Totally get that. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to. Um, I'll get back to you in a moment, Joy. But I want to pursue that a little bit, Steve. Okay. Um, what is, I mean, everybody must have their own discipline, but what do you have a prescribed time during the day or the music, the birds are chirping a certain way? How's it work? Well, I, I really have a commitment to writing pretty much like I had a commitment to doing surgery. Like I would no more not show up in the OR than I don't show up at my writing desk. However, there's a lot more self discipline in this and, it can get really pathetic, and I'll I'll share this just because it's you and me here. Um, there are times <laughs> when when I just don't want to sit down and write, so I set the kitchen timer for one hour, and I'm not allowed to get out of my chair and do anything else until the timer goes off. And, of course, long before the hour is up, I'm well back into the story, and I forget that the timer's even going off. But it, sometimes it's it's that pedestrian. Like, I, I just – I want to go do anything else, or I want to get on the Internet and do emails, whatever. There's so many distractions. Um, so I really am disciplined about it, and, and that's the only way I know how to write stories and, and – to write books is I really have to be committed to it pretty much on a daily basis. Though and I do take some days off. And it's word by word, right? Yeah. It, it just words add up. Joy, you talked about um, 
part of your heart is the playwriting uh, part of your world. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It's it's fascinating to me. Well, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about what Paula had said earlier, and and that your interview with Jerry and Paula were just was fantastic, and I loved hearing both their insights and expertise and how freely they, they shared them. The what I find, and it was what um, Paula was saying about the the inner life that you get from characters in a novel, and I agree with that. I think for me, I enjoy the challenge of doing that with just dialogue because you don't have the ability in a play to give the whole backstory or explain the setting or do all the visual things that I, I tend to write in more of a cinematic way where things are visually explained in it, not in a prose, but in a play, you have to get all of that. And it's so much of it is nuanced, both in the not only the dialogue, but the empty space between the dialogue. And then, of course, what I love about it is the collaborative process, because then the director takes the, and the actors, and they create, they take your words and create something entirely different, often what is unexpected. So I I think it's essentially the same thing. You know, you're trying to tell a story, you're trying to... um, develop characters in a in a meaningful way relationships between characters and it's just approached in a very different way it's it's a more sparse way of writing than doing all of the prosaic parts of a novel so you um will write the script and then a, a, you won't direct it or you will sometimes or how does that work for you i have not well I, I have when they were smaller things like I used to teach in middle school and I, I you know did the the faculty follies play and the, the middle school play but in the professional manner I have not done that it's not it's something I would probably like to do at some point although I'm finding that letting go of the work once I write it is an actually a very important process part of the process for me and it's not always easy. <laughs> Yeah. Just like you, I'm sure you've heard the very, um, the very uh, c- common expression of "kill your darlings" with your with, when you're writing. That you need to edit and and get rid of those things that you think are just so precious and so clever. It's the same thing with um, writing a play and then turning it over, and even a novel. I mean, going back to the the League of Vermont writers, you know, there are some incredible writers that are coming and editors. And I um, had the privilege of working with Kathy Quimby Johnson on the first edited um, version of my novel, 37. And that was, I had never worked with an editor on a novel. And it really kind of blew me away about how important it was to trust someone, to listen to their insights, and then ultimately trust yourself. So to take whatever they're suggesting you do and edit and then decide whether it's the right thing for you. So there is a collaboration in that as well. So I heard um, you say, and, and this sounds very generous to me, but it sounded exciting too, that sometimes actors will take your script and give it a life that you didn't even anticipate. Um, and that, that must, like you said, that must be sort of joyous and uh, painful too. I don't know if painful is the right word, but it's... It, <laughs> Like, wait a minute, that's not what I was saying, but suddenly they're doing something that you, that you like. 
amazing, though. I, I have said before that there are a few moments in life that I would say are just kind of take you into that other realm of exquisite, almost like a spiritual experience. And for me, one of those moments is when I'm sitting in an audience anonymously. Nobody knows I'm the playwright. And I'm watching the play on stage and unfold and I'm hearing the audience either collectively sigh or laugh. And sometimes, as I said, it's unexpected. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, they got that. And that's exactly what my intention was. And sometimes it's not. And, oh, I can't even, I'm getting goosebumps just describing wow. it. Wow. such an incredible experience. Well, it's got to be. <laughs> and, and that's I... the one thing as a writer. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, as a novelist, as a novelist, it's almost like I'm also a visual artist. You know, those are two things that you, you're not there in real time when people are experiencing either a painting that you've made or um, reading the novel. Although I have had readers kind of writing to me in real time saying, oh, my God, I just finished that chapter and, you know, giving me some great feedback. But generally, that's not the situation. So it's a whole different experience about um, you know, being able to have your audience or your um, the viewer feel what they're feeling in the moment. Have you been to every debut in the audience in in your uh, cloaked hat and uh, trench coat? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there haven't been that many. I mean, I'm really not. I haven't written that much. I, I have written a, a nice body of work. Um, so I had the opportunity to do that. I actually had uh, twice I had a piece that I wrote performed by um, actors in New York City as part of the Writers Guild Initiative, a, a spring gala. And that was like on a whole other level because these are professional like Tony Shaloub and um, these are. Colonzeas, who's starring in The Bear right now. So, you know, that's like a whole other level <laughs> of being in awe and, and letting go because you are have so much faith and trust in the, the um, expertise and the, the gifts of those particular actors. Well, it's not for the faint of heart. This is a, uh emotional and, and brave journey writers take. Uh, so, Stephen, we um, – editing uh, is – grueling part of the the process, I'm guessing. But, you know, what about that? Well, I wanted to pick up on something Joy said, which I totally agree with. Um, I'll start with I'm in the school of Stephen King where you keep your study door closed until you get a reasonable first draft done of everything. And I think for me that's really important because I want all of my creative energy to go onto the page. I don't really want to talk to anybody else. I want my vision for a story to, to get out of me first. But once I have a good um, first version or first draft, I have four wonderful um, first readers. In fact, uh, Phyllis Mosier, Howard's widow, was one of my first readers of this last book, um, who was terrific. She's a retired school teacher, so she doesn't spare the rod, which is very helpful. Um, but one of the things editors do, and I've had the same freelance editor, Leslie Kellis Payne from Fresno, California, for 25 years now, is they help you find and hone your own voice, like you and I were talking about recently. 
And the better your voice is and the more consistent it is, I think the better you're able to move people with your stories. And getting input from other people, particularly, and, and in fact, I used um, Kathy Quimby Johnson also, Joy, on my last novel, <laughs> You Were Always There, who is just terrific. And in fact, the book designer mm-hmm. uh, is Carrie Cook from Hyde Park, who's a fabulous book designer. Uh, Vermont is just speckled with talented writer-related people all over the place. And one of the reasons it's so important, I think, to get your voice down and be able to tell a story that's effective is I want to move people. I mean, that's really why I write. And I'll give you a really quick example. I've been touring with You Were Always There for nine months now, I guess. And on several occasions, I have had Vietnam vets in the audience Mm -hmm. And two, on two occasions, um, the vets became very emotional. I mean, really broke down. And they both shared that reading this story was the first time since they left Vietnam that they were able, ever able to share anything about their experiences, something in the story because it rang true for them, particularly about vets coming home. Um, you know, opened something up for them. And to be able to write a story and have that sort of effect, positive effect on people, I just find miraculous. And, you know, that that's a little vignette of, of why I write, really, is, is to move people. And editors certainly help get me to that place where the story is good enough, you know, to do that. And I had asked Paula about you know, what's the importance of a book? And, and there's, there it is right there, right? You're, you're, you opened up something for Vietnam vets that maybe never would have happened. Uh, so it's a great thing. Yeah. It means a lot. Uh, I'm talking this morning with Stephen Russell Payne and Joy Cohn, both, uh, great writers and, uh, Joy, there's this, uh, novel called 37 and I see in, uh, in the, in the promo for it, it says, think cloud atlas meets eat, pray, love and eat, pray, love. I just love that book. So I can't wait to dive into 37 now. Um, uh, just, it's like, uh, Paula said, it's, you got to get grabbed and you grabbed me. Can you tell us a little bit about 37? Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. That was actually my publisher. Um, who's in Guernica edition, world editions out of Toronto who came up with that. Um, this book, and actually it is somewhat set in Vermont. That's where the, the protagonist lives. Although she, as in Eat, Pray, Love, goes on a journey, both an internal journey and also a physical travel, traveling. So it's sort of a introspective travelogue. Um, she is at kind of a, a standpoint in her life where she's divorced, her she has an empty nest. Her job as a local reporter is not fulfilling her. And then her mother dies. And when her mother dies, oh, and her father ha- is struggling with um, dementia. And when her mother dies, something happens in her family that makes her realize there's some sort of secret or some sort of history that she needs to find out about. And as she tries to find out about it, she keeps running into characters and events, which incidentally were are all based on 
true events that happened in 1937. So the book is a combination of literary and contemporary fiction, contemporary fiction like Eat, Pray, Love, but it goes back and forth to 1937, so there are actually nine short stories that take place at different locations around the world, every place from the Lower East Side of Manhattan to um, San Francisco to Spain to Palestine. And these characters and their struggles and their resilience are things that the protagonist writes about and she writes these short stories and through her journey of writing she finds her own truth and so I I love it in terms of showing the power of writing so whether your novel ever gets published or not the fact that and I think that's what Stephen was talking about too you know you we need to write and we want we want an audience because we want to move people ultimately it's the process of writing that can help us find our own truth. So that sounds like a lot of research. You remind me of Mishner, who would, you know, do this incredible descriptive <laughs> uh, dialogue about places in, in, you know, for, I don't know, 500 pages worth. Um, did you have to, to, to go back to 1937? Did you, were you a research scientist on this or how did that? Oh, I was, I'm a to- research is one of my loves. And yes, I, I mean, even I, I, you and I had communicated about the play that I wrote that, that took place in Burlington in 1910. And I spent many, many, many hours in special collections at UVM. And the same thing with this. And I actually even went, um, the, the, the novel 37 all started with a trip to the DR where I went to interview, um, a 97 year old man who had fled Eastern Europe in 1937 and became the um, translator for the dictator Trujillo. And so I went twice and spent time interviewing him. And so as you're, as you're interviewing people and I interviewed people that were part of the Vermont, um, the VCC, the part of the civilian conservation Corps that is now the youth conservation Corps in Vermont. And we're able to meet people, you know, elderly men who had been part of the CCC back in the 30s. And when you're doing the research, you get the interviews, you're finding out all of the, the um, personal stories, the intimate stories, but then you have to do the research of what was actually happening in the world back then, both from a, a larger political, you know, geopolitical, socioeconomic basis, but also even the small things. What music were people listening to? What hand cream would someone have been smelling like? You know, what... What um, what were the newspaper headlines reading? What were people talking about back then? And those are the things, to me, I'm getting excited just talking about it. You know, it, it's so rich. You're filling in a life, and you're filling in. You're trying to really understand what it was like. What was it like when someone walked over that bridge, the stone bridge in the Green Mountains of Vermont that, you know, three young men in 1937 built? What was their experience like? And how does that relate to what people are experiencing today? Because, again, I used the word commonality earlier. I think that's what art writing, art brings to us, is that understanding that we all share the human condition. And it makes us much more connected rather than divisive. And actually, one more quick thing. That's actually what my 
workshop that I am doing, you mentioned writing from the heart. That's the workshop that I'm doing on Saturday. That's what mine is about. Mine is about finding your creative spark, your intuition, your, I, I call it where intuition meets inspiration and intellect by connecting with others. So I think that's kind of where what I, what I love to do, whether it's in my personal life or in my writing. It's it's so exciting. I the excitement in your voice uh, definitely thirty seven. I want to um, read right away, and I'm talking with authors Stephen Russell Payne, Joy Cohn, both uh, um, tremendous writers. And Joy, I'm so excited to uh, to read thirty seven now. Uh, Stephen's uh, latest book has been out for about nine months right now and uh it's doing great uh how do they find your book steve uh Uh, you can get it through any bookstore anywhere and i love people to buy through independent bookstores in fact um right next door bridgeside books has been a great supporter i'm going in there to sign some books uh, after i get done here phoenix books uh, all over vermont has been wonderful and I'll be touring with Sherman's books up through Maine uh, later in the month. And it's on Kindle and Nook and, you know, virtually anywhere. But I'm very fond of independent bookstores. So if you can get to one and support them, I think that's, you know, the the best way to to get a book. You can even get e-books through independent books or local bookstores, which is nice. In fact, the independent uh, bookstores in Vermont, you can go to each one of them and get a stamp. Um, bring your kids, and and they'll acknowledge that you've been there, and you can pick up uh, both Joy and Steve's uh, books. Uh, you can do it in sequence for Steve, uh, Cliff Walking, Life on a Cliff, um, and then You Were Always There, his, his newest novel, and don't forget uh, riding my guitar, the Rick Norcross yes, story. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> real life character book, which must have been so fun that to do. That was great. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, I have a Jerry on the call. I'm a little suspicious that this might be a Jerry we know, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Jerry, welcome. I, I mean, I, you got Steve and Joy on, so I was excited listening in, and <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to seeing them at my place this Saturday. Um, I, I had to, I'm, I'm so glad that both of them mentioned Howard Frank Mosier. I didn't have time to really mention him during a thing I did with Paula, but I was blessed to have him live three miles up the road from me. And 10 years ago, I'm sitting in his, in his house and telling him a little bit, this was, this is before I got together with Paula, uh, with Pat to write the, write the novel but I'm, I'm giving, I'm telling Howard the storyline as it was back then, and he's sitting there and he's got a smile on his face. And after a while, he said, "Don't tell me how it ends." And I said, "Howard, I have no idea how it's going to end." But I mean, his support on on helping writers, and I was blessed to, to, to receive blurbs from him, and his entire family, his wife Phyllis, his his two adult children, Annie and Jake, so talented, the entire family. Um, so 
again, just to make sure people know how to find me and the event, if, if they go to League of Vermont Writers, write out the whole thing, one word, LeagueofVermontWriters.org, and go to Events, and you will find Into the Words, and if you scroll down, you'll actually see a picture of Steve at the first event I did here, <laughs> and you can get all the details on how to find me, and you can register online, and you can also register the day of the event. So, it, it it's going to be a great event. So, thanks for the for that, Jerry. Um, and I'll see you on Saturday. Um, so, Joy, you talked about CCC camps. I know that I've done a lot of hiking on the Long Trail, and a lot of the uh, the shelters were built by men back in the day, or men and women. I don't know how. Um, and and really, it, do we learn from history, or do we forget to learn from history? It sounds like you went back to thirty seven, and and you you grabbed a whole bunch of stuff that that had value. What's your take on that? Oh, my goodness, that's quite a, <laughs> quite a heady question. Um, I think it's both. I think, you know, hopefully we learn from history. Unfortunately, I think, you know, it's problematic because we, we don't necessarily. I do think both as our nation gets older and then as I personally get older, you can put things in perspective. So, for example, if something, let's say, political happens in this country, it's good to look back and realize, oh, my gosh, 100 years ago, you know, the, the presidential uh, candidates were fighting and were saying unkind things to each other. So to kind of temper our re- potentially reactive nature to anything that's happening in life. And look, we just got through a pandemic and or we're still in a so we're sort of in a pandemic. But I think that putting things in perspective in terms of how long we have been on this earth and how, you know, both as as humans and what is important to focus our energies on. I think that's the lesson. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I love that. And I've, I've had the, uh, the pleasure and really it's been a gift for me to interview, uh, writers and musicians and, uh, some of the musicians that I've talked to over the course of time were, are about, uh, viewing social, uh, issues that, that need importance. And, and so music and writing has always been part of that. And I appreciate that both of you are doing that. Um, Joy, I want to ask, uh, we're, we've got about four minutes left. You, you, there was a mural in, in Burlington that got, uh, found and preserved, and then you wrote about it. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I would love to. Thank you. Um, well, if if anyone's interested, you can, well, first of all, you can go to my website to look up about the play that I was commissioned to write. But the it's lostmural.org is a mural that was painted by a Lithuanian Jewish um, artist in 1910. It's a, quite a complicated story, so I won't give you the whole the whole story. Um, but it was hidden behind a wall for many years. It was restored by um, 
members of Ohio Zedek Synagogue. Aaron Goldberg and Jeff Potash led that. Madam Kunin's been involved in that. And what's significant, I mean, the story that I wrote was also based on a lot of historical research, but then, of course, fictionalized because we don't know that much. Ben Zion Black was the painter. He was also an incredible Yiddish poet. Um, He wrote a column for a Montreal newspaper. He led a 30 mandolin orchestra, just an incredible man. And he ended up being a sign painter in Burlington. His shop was where the Daily Planet is now, that building, for many years. So, you know, he's very steeped in Burlington and Vermont history. But the main significance about this mural, it was a mural that was painted inside of a synagogue. And because he came from Lithuania, it was painted in a a very... Um, typical style of Eastern European synagogues, most of them which were wooden, and all of them which were destroyed by the Nazis. So in an incredible twist of fate, the mural in Burlington, Vermont, is the only remaining um, actual authentic mural of that type left in the world. That so it's, is, an, it's an international treasure. So remarkable. And uh, uh, people can look at, at the play that you did. And and it's uh, and I think that the synagogue is open for people to view at certain times and see the mural. I, I have gone in and, and looked at it. It's, it's a remarkable uh, piece of art. Um, and it was moved from the original synagogue, and they actually they actually won an international engineering award for the feat of removing it from the original building and placing it at the Ohave Zedek Synagogue on South Prospect Street. Yeah, before we leave, I just wanted to thank you um, and WDEV for supporting so many Vermont writers and artists and You'll get a chuckle out of this. I was doing a book signing way up in Bar Harbor, Maine, at Sherman's Books a few years ago with a, with Life on a Cliff, and this fellow came in from Michigan, recognized the book and me because he heard me interviewed by Ken and uh, Jack Donovan on music to go to the dump by. <laughs> How's that for an internet? Almost an international reach. <laughs> Gotta love radio. So we, we really appreciate everything DEV does. Well, it's 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 so nice to be part of WDV in in a seventy five year history, and radio is so important. Uh, and even today, with flooding around, uh, listening to the radio. Uh, been talking this morning with author Stephen Russell Payne and Joy Cohn, uh, and a great event, Vermont League of Writers is putting on this Saturday, July 15th, up in the Northeast Kingdom, called Into the Words. You can find it on website. Uh, it's been a nice cathartic journey with you, Stephen, and 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 with you, Joy, and I really appreciate you sharing your talents. And I, if you're a writer out there and and want to learn more, this event this Saturday, it's perfect. It's uh, this is Vermont Viewpoint WDEV coming up. Uh, Bill Sayre at noon and Charlie Papello at one o'clock. Travels with Charlie. Don't miss that.